Hey guys, welcome back to the Brando and Joe podcast. For today's podcast episode, we have Sammy Apilal. He is currently a consultant and is currently getting his PhD in IO psychology from Hofstra University. And uh, I believe an avid rock climber, right, Sammy? Am I correct in that? I try my best. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to go sometime. But uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on today. Welcome, Sammy. Thanks, guys. Long time listener, first time caller. Super happy to be here. Oh, we love it. <laughs> we love the support. <laughs> Uh, I've had that in the back of my head for like the last week. <laughs> I'm so glad I finally got to say it. Brandon, do you think this is the first, uh, can we call you a fan, Sammy? I would say fan. I would I would even go as far as to say number one fan. Oh. <laughs> do you think yeah. this is the first time we had a fan come on, Brandon? I would I would say so. I remember we were sitting in the I.O. room at Hofstra and Sammy just starts reeling out all this information that we spoke about in one of our episodes i believe it was the one with dr church and he's like i know this study let's talk about this study so yes. it's awesome <laughs> to have you on here sammy <laughs> yeah it's uh semester starting back up soon guys so we'll see I'll see you back in hauser we can uh riff on some studies some more studies then we don't uh i guess for our listeners sammy was our um i guess ta would you would you call oh yeah it for, for stats is that the pronounced like correct title I, I must have i must have repressed the memory entirely but yeah we, yeah we uh we spent a, a whole semester together uh doing univariate statistics a lot of fun did you guys enjoy the class hopefully no pressure i actually no liked it so yeah yeah i did too i think joe and i were the two who enjoyed it in comparison to everybody else <laughs> yeah you guys sat closer to the front <laughs> well part of me wishes that because i know the previous semester or previous year uh, they learned r right and we learned Jamovi. You guys, um, yeah. I kind of wish we learned R, just because I feel like they use that in uh, corporate America, or at least in like data analysts. But um, I don't know. What's your take on that? Do you like ever actually use R in your work? Yeah, I use it pretty frequently. Actually, I use it a lot more than uh, Jamovi, uh, which is what we spent the whole semester learning. So we had to redo all the lesson plans. Uh, to be in Jamovi format. And I guess it's easier. It's very like point and click for the users who don't know, kind of like SPSS, but there's definitely a lot more value in knowing how to do R and like creating scripts to not even just for analyses. You can literally like create a PDF report with a script in R. So trying to uh, get back to using R, but I don't think that's happening anytime soon. Yeah, no, we, uh, Joe and I have been going back and forth on Jamovi, R, Python, all of those uh, trying to see what we think we can build our best portfolio on. Uh, it's interesting to hear that you don't actually even use Jamovi really in your work. So, <laughs> no, I, I, I use it. Okay. So I use it generally for like, um, like descriptives. It's really good for that. Uh, correlation matrices. Like whenever I need a table for something, Jamovi is really good for doing that. Cause then I can just copy and paste the output. Um, for R, R is really good with, with visuals. So if I want to plot something, bar charts, uh, line, literally anything, uh, generally I'll use R for that. Yeah, I guess you, you are correct. Cause like for the simple stuff when we could just like copy and paste in a data set and then just press descriptives, like literally no code ran and then it would just plot out the table you read. And then we would just, I mean, copy and paste it and send it to you. And like, there, you know, now we know how to do mean median <laughs> mode. <laughs> Um, yeah, and even the output is a lot cleaner too. I think than than R. It's yeah, it's like uh, it looks nice. Like the actual like interface is friendly. Yeah, I used R in undergrad, and it was uh, 
It was definitely more of a struggle than when I was using Jamovi in class. And I definitely prefer Jamovi. I wish we could like make that the standard because, but it's just not as, I guess, powerful as R can be. So that's the one struggle there. Yeah, well, Jamovi runs on R. So Hmm. in theory, I mean, you could just, uh, have you, have you guys used SPSS very, very much? Mm -mm. I used it in uh, undergrad. So Joe, you can, you know, that part where you can like throw syntax in the uh, window and then have it run the analysis as opposed to doing point and click. Oh, I had no idea you could do that. I don't think I ever got that far in an SPSS. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure you can do the same thing in Jumo. I'm like 80% sure you can do the same thing in Jumovi with using R code. So kind of similar to that. I guess it's helpful for uh, like cleaning data and uh, creating like dummy variables. I know we did a lot in SPSS. I don't know how easy that is in Jamovi. I don't know if we really got to cover that fully. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, try it out. I think I, I must be old school because I just like use Excel to clean. I feel like it's so much easier, a bit, a bit smoother. I do too. <laughs> Excel is easy for everything. Um, but I guess to get into the, the bulk of the episode, um, we kind of wanted to hear like your pathway into IO starting from your master's and kind of what led you to your PhD, if you could like sum that up for us. Yeah, uh, if I'm summing it up briefly, so I did my master's in the Netherlands at Maastricht University. It was a, a one-year master's, and actually, I started. Uh, I I ended up going to the Netherlands. That wasn't what my initial plan was. My initial plan was to register for PhD programs, uh, and I got rejected from the programs that I applied to. So instead of taking my mom's advice and just like working for a year and applying the following year, uh, it was just because. I went through the, the GRE process. I had to like restudy everything. Oh, it sucks. Uh, all those letters of interest, like getting involved in so much. Re- I was in doing like three research labs during my undergrad because I really wanted it. And I was uh, a bit gutted after like doing all of that and then getting those rejections. So yeah, of course. I was like, okay, let's uh, try to pick up the pieces and do something else and like try to register for a master's. And it was really late in the game. I think I was registering like, in February. So a lot of program deadlines had closed for their masters at least, or maybe I just didn't do a good, uh, a good enough job, like looking for uh, other programs, but I was still in Minnesota at the time. And so found Maastricht university, went over there, did that for a year. And while I was there, I was looking at PhD positions out there, uh, as well as over here. Um, so I applied to Hofstra. And was still, I really would just wanted to stay in Europe. It was, it was kind of fun. Um, sure. It was just nice, especially during like the the pandemic, like kind of being able to like travel really. I was like ten minutes uh, from the, the Belgian border, so I could like literally bike there. It was really cool. Uh, and then I got accepted into Hofstra uh, as a prerequisite student because you have to do you know two year masters and then you can start the PhD program. So I was a prerequisite student for for a year uh, before I started my PhD. So. Uh, it was long journey. Didn't realize I would be in New York at some point, but here, here I am. Almost hope started the dissertation process. Hopefully, we'll be defending next year. Honestly, that's such a great story for students out there to hear. We have all these guests on who talk about like their path, and it's usually pretty clean, and they just follow a path line. But the fact is, is like Sammy, not I'm I'm gonna just tell you the truth here. Not, I'm not blowing smoke or anything. I think you're like really, really brilliant. And I looked up to you as like somebody who was one of our TAs. Um, so to hear you one, get rejected from PhD programs and have to like deviate your path to then end up in a PhD program. 
like for our listeners out there, Sammy is a very, very smart, hardworking individual. So the fact is, is if he's able to do that with his career and like still build off of that and end up in a PhD program, like it's not always going to look as clean as you think, but you're still able to persevere. And that's an awesome story to hear, Sammy. Uh, So one, just really, really proud to hear that. But also it's really cool that you got to experience that in, in Europe and then coming over to New York, I feel like you're from being from Minnesota, you probably experienced two drastically different cultures. So um, now when you're talking about the work you're doing in your PhD program, how has that helped you get working too? Yeah, so I started off during the pre-rec year. Uh, so this is 2021, like February of 2021, I think. I was just looking for internships, just trying to stay busy. And as you guys know, our classes were online. Everyone's classes were online. So a little bit more free time than I would have liked. And uh, in addition to like some of the lab work that I was doing with my advisor, Sung Liu, Dr. Sung Liu, um, I needed a job. And I've, I had done like some pro bono projects before that. So it's really hard to just get into consulting as an, in an entry level position without some sort of experience. So prior to that, I was just trying to seek out the work myself. And I'd literally go up to a nonprofit and be like, hey, I'm, I'm doing my master's in IO psychology. Can I help you guys with anything? Um, so that definitely helped a lot. But uh, I wrote actually a cover letter for this internship that I applied to. Uh, it was an external consulting firm called Lindsay Group. And uh, surprisingly enough, I got the job, did the interview with the the owner, Preston Lindsay. And... Uh, I was there for about a year and a half doing um, a lot of like stuff on the business side. So uh, requests for proposal writing, like companies would send out um, a, a letter or like an RFP saying, hey, we need a consultant to come in and do X, Y, Z. And we need like a project timeline, all of these details, deliverables. Uh, so I was the guy along with Preston who was writing the, who were writing those proposals to those companies trying to get jobs for us. Um, and then in addition to some like facilitation work for the different workshops that we did. And so it sounds like it's like, a there's not a lot of data involved in that kind of work. Yeah. Like the external consulting firm that I worked with, uh, the Lindsay group, they were all about generative change. So if you guys have heard of like dialogic organization development, generative change is essentially like having conversations with people and getting them to realize what the different problem areas or pain points are. And we would do that through a group like discussion. Honestly, we do it through structured exercises, but you're right. It wasn't super uh, data heavy. It was a lot of like qualitative research that we were doing. So that's awesome to hear. Did um, for this type of role, I know we kind of said it was kind of like a blend uh, of internal external. I wanted to ask because when you started off at the, it was the Lindsay group, right? Uh, mm-hmm. When you started there, that's obviously like an external role. And then you follow that up with this. Uh, what was that transition like going from like maybe a smaller internal role at a small firm to now working at like a basically global company? Uh, the organizational structure was insane. Like I've never seen anything like it. Uh, there are, I just, First off, orienting yourself with all of the different job titles and what they mean. People were like, executive director, senior leaders, but who's a senior leader? Are executive directors senior leaders? Are senior leaders C-suite executives? Is it just VP and above? Like, who is who? Like, 
names, the, the corporate structure. There's so many things going on at any given time. Uh, I think I was just, the structure really overwhelmed me the most because I had never worked in such a large organization of like more than, you know, a hundred people. <laughs> oh, I can understand that. My internship right now is like, just honestly learning everybody's names <laughs> and like <laughs> you don't realize that it's like and you're right this person's name under uh, this title and this title and this title and it's stuff you never heard before it's like kind of an actual skill that it takes to learn um that you don't realize when at least i didn't realize when getting into the internship well and and i don't know um you're at capri right yeah yeah and i don't know if you have folks like i i really had to start from scratch and just like learn what what people do on the day-to-day -day. they're using words so uh there's so many terms that's like yeah. but i remember when starting they're like you'll just learn the terms and every time someone uses like an abbreviation just ask like what does this mean um and it's so easy to get lost especially in a big company like that i created a folder i'm like org structure <laughs> <laughs> like trying to like uh make a small dictionary for myself i guess so i could understand what was going on it helped i had i have a, a very good boss too she's uh Dr. Maria Pace is great. She does a wonderful job explaining things. And it, it's easy to learn things when you have a lot of psychological safety. Hmm. Um, so that definitely helped facilitate the learning process. In my head, I was thinking of uh, if I was in that situation, I'd be getting a whiteboard out and drawing out the org structure as I go to learn everybody's name and what role they're in. So uh, that's honestly a great call out, though, for like our students out there who are listening. Like once you're entering a new organization, you do have to like assimilate yourself to the structure, the individuals, the jargon and all of that different mm -hmm. stuff that you get to see um, in those big companies or even the small ones, too. But that is kind of a segue, Sammy, into the last question that we always ask all of our guests. And I'm sure you're probably itching to answer this one as an avid listener. Uh, so one thing we wanted to ask you is what is like one piece of advice that you have for prospective IO students out there? Prospective IO students that are registering for the pro or just like how the IO would help prepare you for the job type of thing. More like the type of advice that you would give for somebody who is trying to enter the field of IO. I would say, I guess it depends. Like if you're coming from a different field, like try to see, I, yeah, it's going to always depend on the so like, <laughs> Yeah. If you're coming from outside of psychology, I would say like, try to talk to people and see wh what you like, what you don't like. Like if you're business analytics or something, there's definitely a lot of overlap in the work that we do with them. Um, just try to get a better understanding of like what IO psychology is. Cause as a lot of your guests have mentioned, like it's a huge field. There's so many things you can do talent development, like selection, uh, job analysis. Well, that would fall under selection stuff and gate. Like you could be an uh, occupational health psychologist, deal with burnout and stress and all of that stuff specifically. So it's like a, a field within a field that you really have to like acquaint yourself to before rushing into it. It's great advice. I, we've heard that before where try not to like pigeonhole yourself into one specific IO psychology facet um, because the beauty of IO psychology is that you can do a whole bunch of different things. So especially when you're starting out as a master's student getting into the program or I bet even in PhD, even like, you know, leaving the program and getting your first entry level job, you know, keep your eye out. Maybe you'll like some part of consulting or uh, some HR or recruiting or, you know, there's so many different things to do. Yeah. And to add to that, it's just, 
I know somebody who I made fun of actually for this reason, but I respect her so much actually for doing this because I'm I'm realizing I probably should have done the same. She's had like so many different internships and she's more than qualified. Internships in so many different things like DEI. Uh, uh, I can't think of any other ones at this point, but she's, <laughs> she's, she's done a lot of different stuff, right? And I'm just like, I'd ask her like, why don't you why don't you just get a job and like just, just get a nice salary? Like you don't really have to worry about much. You have the experience. Like you were at McKinsey, it's going to be fine. And she's, she's like, I don't know. I don't, it's like kind of FOMO. Like, I don't know what I'm missing out on. So I really want to get my feet wet. Like while I still can. Um, and she's done like, she knows what she likes. She knows what she doesn't like. You can go up to her and like, ask her a question about almost any of the different disciplines within IO and she'll like tell you what happens in a, in a corporation. So that's awesome. The, the, um, so one of the things that I'm doing since I'm the president for IOPSA this upcoming year, we've started like some events getting to know some of the incoming first years. And it was, it was kind of interesting. Like I was listening to some of them talk about their uh, degrees that they have in undergrad and some of them were saying the same stuff, like everybody was trying to go clinical and then they decided they weren't going to go clinical and then they go into IO psychology. But there are actually multiple people who had some sort of business background, which is newer because I know in our year, I believe I'm the only person that had like a business degree who came into the IO field and at Hofstra anyways. Um, so it was kind of crazy to hear about that, like people are starting to transition that and make that blend between business and psychology a lot it's, quicker. And it's been happening for a while now. It's been happening for at least a couple of decades. Like if you look at some of the most prominent scholars in IO psychology, like Podsikoff, stress research, Lapine, stress research. I'm only I'm mentioning those authors because I'm doing my dissertation on stress research. And <laughs> they both teach at ASU. I, I think it's ASU somewhere in Arizona, but they teach in the business department. Mm. Uh, I would assume like funding is probably the reason why but because they actually get funding over there unlike us over in the humanities but um adam grant's the same uh, i believe yep uh, uh wharton I think? yeah yeah no yeah it's 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 a growing field it's got a lot of potential because it can have so many different uses and like we kind of said it's a field within a field within a field so there's so many different things you can do um and it's awesome to hear that like you got you got a decent amount of exposure as well, like going from consulting internally and externally, like you got to kind of experience both. Can I, Brando? Can I add one more one more piece of advice that I just thought? <laughs> oh of? yeah, of course, David. I as feel like this one. Want, this is your this is your time. This is my fifteen minutes or thirty minutes, <laughs> however long it's going to be. Uh, I think one piece of advice that I haven't heard anyone give yet is uh, you don't have to have like an. Uh, an entry-level IO position to get involved in IO. Like I said, like I, while I was in the Netherlands, I just went and did pro bono work. Like nonprofits are itching for IOs. You can just go and say, hey, I have experience. I mean, you have like, you know, have morals and ethics. Don't take on any projects that you can't finish <laughs> or don't have the experience to do. But if you want the work, go seek it out. Like there's so many different organizations. You can do the work for free. Like that's, it's, just as good as a class project, if not better, because it shows that you took the initiative to seek out the information when no one was willing to give it to you in the first place. So I would say like it worked for me. Um, so it should work for anybody at that point. Can I add to your point, Sammy? Please. Um, one thing that's also great about IO is you can incorporate IO principles into your everyday job. So 
whether you can find IO experience or you can't, you can still utilize some of the IO principles and like increase the type times that you're using it when you're working in your everyday work. Like I know as a tennis coach, I used to try and like incorporate the job characteristics model into the structure of how I was coaching people. And it's just like, that's just something like that's super small, but it like went so far and like doing things like that can still increase like your resume for IO for whenever you get out of school or whenever you get out of your job. Absolutely. Well, that was amazing advice, Sammy. We really appreciate you coming on. Um, excited for everyone. We always love when we get to have like hot people on. So this oh, makes yeah, us always. look better when you guys are so smart. <laughs> uh, it was just, it was an excuse to get together. Honestly, I, d- I didn't even want to do the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you've been putting me off for climbing for a while now, Sammy. Well, you're on the other side of the country, brother. Come back <laughs> and then we'll make it happen. We'll, we'll, we'll do this second podcast on a mountain. Just be out of breath yeah. the whole time. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you again for coming on. Um, hopefully we can do it again soon. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Take care, Sammy. Bye. God, I love that guy. Uh, It's so awesome to have him on here. Uh, I know we have been talking about having him on for a while. When he taught our stats class, it was just really awesome. He did such a great job teaching the class. I felt like he was like definitely like a subject matter expert for that stuff for sure. Don't you agree, Joe? Yeah, 100%. It was cool walking into the program and seeing Sammy kind of like a mentor uh, and learning from him, uh, just so knowledgeable. And then later on him telling us that he listened to our podcast and was like uh, rephrasing what we said. He's like, yeah, you guys did an awesome job doing this. Or it was like, Oh my God, like you usually think that about you. Uh, so it was cool in that aspect to have him on and then like kind of fully interview him about his life and his path. Like, yeah, no, I mean everything that he said about his career and what he's learned is definitely something that I think a lot of students can learn from. Um, I know personally, uh, as you just said, Joe, kind of like a mentor, he's like that for me as well. Uh, Just kind of seeing how he's started off, because I also am starting off at like a small consulting firm. So learning from him, I know for our listeners out there, he's definitely available. Please reach out to him on LinkedIn. He'd be happy to answer any questions. He's a great resource to have. As somebody who's getting their PhD too, he's super, super knowledgeable. Yeah, definitely. He's a very, very smart guy. And uh, hopefully we get to do this again with him. I know we talked before the podcast started about him coming on for like a part two, maybe sometime in the fall. So if you like this episode, which we, Brandon, I hope you did, uh, keep an eye out for uh, Sammy part two. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye, everybody. 